Previously on Saratoga Lights. Neath that great highway moon, I saw old Scratch with jagged horn. The one responsible for killing your husband is nearby. Low, low, the evil beast was always Texas born. I think I'm a little more experienced when it comes to the matters of life and death and that which falls between. I'm sorry for all this business, William. <laughs> God won't find you down there. Where are we? Saratoga Lights, Season 2, Episode 11, That Great Highway Moon. Who the hell are you? He's a preacher. A preacher? Oh, great. Everybody knows everybody. You're a preacher, you're a psychopath, and, uh, and we are uh, leaving. Come on, Lucas. William retreats to the overturned vessel and beckons Lucas to follow, who dutifully complies. You won't get far in that boat. It's called a skiff. What's the plan, preacher? I don't know. Old Scratch wanted to make sure I wasn't standing in his way. Whatever it is, it's going to require a lot of blood to be shed. Bradford was saying something about that. The one you killed? The same. Maybe we can ask him what he knows. (laughs) William lets go of the boat, causing Lucas to lose his grip and drop the vessel on his feet, just shy of the water. You say Bradford? Yeah. He's down here? I would assume he didn't end up in heaven. You killed Bradford? Maggie looks at Lucas and nods, feeling neither pride nor shame. It had to be done. Stabbed him in the neck and shot him in the dick. Ouch. I'd assume a man of God wouldn't end up in hell, but here one stands. I have my sins like everyone else. Point is, y'all don't know what's going on any more than we do. The devil himself is carrying out the greatest heist of all time, and we can stop him. Yeah, devils and demons don't really interest me enough to stick my neck out. What about revenge? Does that interest you enough? Maybe. That works for me. Okay, preacher. Do you know where old Scratch is? Maybe one of those little maps in the back of your Bible can show the way. I don't know where he is, but I know how to find him. The group listens intently as the preacher lays out the plan as he sees it, and one by one they all agree that this will be the path forward, long as it may seem. Months pass by, maybe even years, as they quickly discovered that time no longer had any meaning or purpose. A neglected motel sits alongside a long-forgotten highway, It's sign advertising, vacancy for all eternity. The preacher, bruised and beaten, the burned scars on his neck, exposed for all to see, sits in an old Chevy C10, staring at the seedy motel. The row of doors and windows are shuttered and shattered, save for one room with the blinds drawn shut. That's where the keeper will be. Just outside the room, some hopeless soul, in coveralls, is sweeping the walkway, condemned to push dust to and fro in a world comprised of nothing but dust, it seems. 
The preacher grabs a gun out of the glove box, an eight-chamber Rufus Outlaw revolver, and climbs out of the truck. He crosses the parking lot with a noticeable limp in his gait, leaving a small trail of blood with each step. He reaches the side of the motel and moves slowly past each room, scanning the horizon for any sign of life. They're all alone, save for a black car newly parked at the end of the lot, but the preacher pays no mind to it. He reaches the keeper's room and takes one last breath, tightening the grip on his revolver. The darkened room is awash in the midday sun as the preacher kicks open the door, revealing a hazy cloud of tobacco and other substances permanently affixed to the ceiling tile. The keeper is sitting up in bed enjoying a pack of Markhams as an old game show plays on the snowy television in the corner. Quite surprised at the intrusion and even more annoyed when he sees it's the preacher standing in his doorway. How has your faith prepared you for this moment, preacher? Do you feel the comfort of your Lord's bosom here in this place? And you got a gun down here. Congratulations. The keeper mockingly raises his hands before lighting another cigarette as the preacher drags a chair up to the foot of the bed. On the nightstand rests a set of bronze keys, absent any label or marking, which the keeper never lets out of his sight. Who told you where to find me? I have my sources. Hmm, your sources. Aside from myself and old Clyde out there with his bristle stick, not many folks know about this place. That's why I like it. Where's old Scratch? You and me, we've been doing this do -si do for years now. And it's led us right here. So why don't you point me in the right direction? Just to satiate my curiosity, what are you proposing to do? I'm gonna kill him. Oh, you are a noble man. You think you can just kill him and walk off into the sunset? No. You kill him, then you become him, and then another, and another, and another. No, no. I kill him, and it's done. I do admire your earnest naivete, preacher. Righteous prayer of a fervent man. Do I really strike you as the type of man capable of such as he? Capable of what he's done? Evil takes many forms. If I can find you, so can he. You can't stay on the run forever. Preacher, do you doubt my ability to protect myself? You don't get to be keeper of the keys for as long as I have without a contingency plan. With a surprising amount of speed and dexterity given his large belly, the keeper grabbed his own gun hidden under the silk sheets and aimed it at the preacher fully intended to dispatch him from the afterlife. But was shot in the forehead before he could complete the task. The preacher stands with smoke rising from the barrel of his revolver, looking at the corpse in front of him whose head is painted on the wall of the motel room. It wasn't the plan, but it could still work. He grabs the keys from the nightstand and feels hopeful that they'll be able to throw a wrench in Old Scratch's plan. Silently, Behind him, a dark leather-clad figure with a full face helmet appears in the open doorway. William is driving an old, beat-up diplomat with Maggie riding shotgun and Lucas in the back, 
The trio looked like relics from an Old West sideshow, clad in the wardrobe of cow rustlers and gamblers from a bygone era. The car rattles incessantly as they make their way down the empty highway. There it is. Up ahead on the right, they see an old motel, seemingly abandoned save for a burnt orange truck in the parking lot and a few hopeless souls wandering around the property. This must be the place. They pull off the highway and make their way towards the far end of the lot, backing into a spot that gives them the greatest field of vision. The preacher limps across the asphalt in front of them after leaving his truck, but offers them nothing more than a casual glance before returning to the task at hand. Jeez, looks like he's been hit by a freight train. Where'd he get that gun? I want a gun. We're early. Better than late. Hey, do you think when this is all over, I can get that gun? Forget about the gun. Why don't you ask him? I'm sure he'll give it to you. They watch the preacher kick open the door and enter the motel room, disappearing into the darkness. He's on his own. As they keep watch of the surroundings, Maggie sees a janitor slowly pushing a broom, indiscriminately shuffling dust from one end of the parking lot to the other. She locks eyes with him for a moment and sees what her future in this place may hold before he returns to his prescribed task. How did he find this guy? Oh, I'm giving up trying to decipher the how and why of this world. What I don't understand is, why is this guy in the lamb? Sounds like he had a maid. Well, you got that much power. You're sure to make a few enemies. <gasps> this is like Rio Bravo. I'm Sheriff Chance, you're dude, and you're Colorado. Yeah, it's nothing like that. It's kind of like that. At the long end of the motel, a dark leather-clad figure rounds the corner and makes their way down the walkway. The flash of a gunshot comes from the keeper's room, followed by a small pop, giving both the trio and the approaching figure pause. This looks like bad news. What do we do? The leather figure pulls a rusted screwdriver out of their back pocket, wielding the makeshift weapon as they stealthily walk to the keeper's room. William frantically searches the car for any sort of object, blunt or sharp, that he could use to defend himself. Under the seat, his hand grabs hold of the tire iron. This should do just fine. He jumps out of the car and rushes to the motel room. A dark leather-clad figure drives up to the back side of the motel on a motorcycle and pulls off her full face helmet. It's Trudy. She looks around to get her bearings, seeing nothing but desert for miles and miles. The keeper's room should be on the opposite side of the motel. Trudy walks over to the building and slinks around the corner, startled by the sight of the preacher closing the door to a truck and walking towards the same destination as she. Quickly, she ducks back behind the corner and finds a payphone, calling the only number down here that she knows. Yes? The preacher's here. Did you get the keys? Not yet. Do I need to remind you that if we don't have the keys, our entire plan is for naught? How'd the preacher know where to find him? Doesn't matter. Kill the preacher, kill that shitbird, and get back here with the keys. Trudy looks around for something to use as a weapon. On the ground, among a pile of discarded tire rims and motor oil, 
She spots a toolbox and retrieves a rusted six-inch screwdriver from its contents. She puts her helmet back on, checking that the coast is clear before advancing down the walkway towards the keeper. A gunshot rings out that stops her in her tracks. She lets the sound fade away to nothing, then continues walking. On her right, some poor sap pushing a broom across the parking lot. She steps inside the open door, screwdriver firmly in her hand, and sees the preacher, his back to her, standing over the body of the keeper, whose blood now adorns the wood-paneled wall. She takes each step with precision, giving no indication or warning to the preacher of her presence as she creeps towards him. With a furious thrust, she impales the preacher with a tool, lodging it firmly into the base of his skull, killing him instantly. William bursts into the room and sees Trudy crouched over the body of the preacher, waiting in a pool of blood. <clears throat> Trudy grabbed the preacher's gun and fired it at the intruder, hitting William in the shoulder and knocking him clear out of the room to the walkway on his backside. She grabs the keys and runs. William tries to trip her up as she exits the room, but she wrangles herself free from his grasp, dropping the gun in the commotion but still desperately clinging to the keys. Lucas rushes over to his brother as Trudy turns the corner of the motel back to her waiting motorcycle. Oh, Jesus! Ugh, I don't think he lives around here. Maggie pulls the diplomat over to the room as Lucas clumsily heaves his brother into the back seat, picking up the gun from the ground and closing the door behind him. Maggie sees the preacher lying prone on the floor of the motel room in a pool of his own blood and mourns the loss of her mentor over these last few months. She mourns the loss of her friend. Maggie sees Trudy pull out onto the highway and opens the throttle wide. Just the keys! What followed was a chase the likes of which had never been before seen in this part of the afterlife. The diplomat, driven with tenacity by Maggie Sewell, tears down the broken highway across the abandoned desert, gaining on the lone rider in the distance. In the back seat, Lucas puts pressure on William's wound as he breathes through the pain. Both men looking frightened by their current rate of travel. What exactly is your plan here? You grab that gun. Yeah? Time to put it to use. I'll get you close. You make sure that asphalt tears a hole through her goddamn chest. Okay. The wind whips through the car as Lucas leans out the window, aiming the outlaw revolver at Trudy as Maggie closes the distance between the two. William grabs hold of Lucas's belt, trying to keep his brother from losing his balance and inadvertently repaving the highway with his flesh and blood. Trudy looks back over her shoulder and sees the approaching car as it readies to ram her, so close now that she can make out the devilish grin on Maggie's face. Maggie presses the accelerator further and buries the needle on the speedometer, sending a shiver through the various steel parts and joints that comprise the engine and creating a deafening roar inside the old hunk of junk. But something up ahead catches Maggie's eye. On the shoulder, a tall figure in a corduroy blazer raises a hand in greeting at the approaching car. He looks like Avid. Her eyes lock on his as the car zooms past. What is it? What? 
Maggie is gripping the steering wheel, looking in the rearview mirror, but can only see the road behind them for miles and miles, nothing more. She gets out and looks towards the spot on the shoulder where she saw Avid, but he's nowhere to be found. Trudy, too, has vanished down the road ahead. They're all alone. Saratoga Lights is written and directed by Randall LaRue. Audio recording and engineering by Matthew David Rudd. Music by Randy Reynolds. This episode featured the voice talents of Brian Villalobos, Freddie Hines, Jordan Merritt, Brooke Chalmers, Heath Allen, Valerie Rose Lohman, Matt Fitzgerald, and Matthew David Rudd. Special guest sweeping by Randall Allen LaRue. Until next time. Come on in, congregants. You have answered the call of KTX 93.9, bringing you music that makes your better half feel whole. And what a wonderful feeling that is. It calls to mind a simpler time, like two rocking chairs on the porch, watching our kids in the yard lifting holy hands. And to what do we testify, dear flock? To what do we proclaim the power of? We testify to love. We testify to the power of communing one with another. And we testify to the healing power of the radio waves as evidenced by your presence with us now. Ah, let's spin an old-timey one from the Baytown Brothers. Plenty of those in despair here on KTX. <laughs> Governor is going to pull us out of this mess? Of course. Really? Sure. 
They never know a politician to make promises they could keep. I'll do it. We're ruined. Oh, I think we're gonna pull ourselves out. Well, how? With our marbles. Like that brain trust they got in Washington coming up with all them fancy programs. Ow! Marbles! Cody's!